Oscar Poker. Topic A would be, I'm up in Toronto, of course, and you're back in Los Angeles. We all, know, we, know, we all know that Sasha Stone is a regular Toronto person, and this year she chose not to go, but this is a pretty good year, and I'm sorry you're not here. That's funny, because I've never been to Toronto ever, not one time. Yes, I know that. I was being <laughs> He was being sarcastic. You're saying because I put down that I this was not a good year to attend, but I never attend, so yes, you're right, that's funny. Um, yeah, it does seem kind of a good year, but on the other hand, uh, I think I'm going to write about the fact that there's still no really strong Best Picture frontrunner out of either festival. Am I wrong about that? I guess if you want to be restrictive about that. Yeah, I'd say there's no big um, uh, rocket fuel uh, movie at this point. Yeah, that's a fair enough assessment. I think that they're all coming at the end of the year, I mm. think it's uh, Revenant and, um, and, um, and Joy and, and, you know, maybe, maybe um, um, uh, something else. Um, what else would it be? I, I'm not really... Uh, Bridge of Spies, possibly. Um, I think you're really stretching out there by, uh, with Bridge of Spies. I, uh, well, I mean, it's something, it's one of the films to consider. You can't just write it off. I mean, it's going to be a Best Picture contender. It's definitely going to be in there. No, I don't think so. I think that Spielberg has has basically uh, been over for a long time, and I don't think he has it in the, that that feeling of discovery of let's try something, let's let's be nervy. The way we felt, for instance, when Martin Scorsese, I thought blew everybody away with Wolf of Wall Street. That was the energy of a thirty-five-year-old guy. Mm, I disagree. And really going for the the metaphor and the satire of the of the. Uh, of the 1% Wall Street uh, greed culture. You know, I thought that was brilliant. Uh, and I love that, that movie. But man's, older man's film. You can't no. write off Spielberg. His last two movies have gotten Best Picture nominations, even a really bad one like War Horse and a really yeah. good one like uh, Lincoln. But that wasn't a very energized film. That was a very, um, you know, kind of Darby O'Gill and the Little People uh, movie. I Except know, I like Dar Darby O'Gill and the Little People. <laughs> but does it matter? I mean, we're three words, Best Picture nomination. That means you have to consider him him in this movie you have to just like you have to consider and you don't want to but the hateful eight you know that's another one where quentin tarantino gets best picture nominations you know uh so you have to think that's probably going to be in as far as a winner um 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if you go by movies that haven't been seen and just on perception, which is really hard to do. Like remember last year when mm. you had Birdman on your top of your bubble charts, that was because yeah. you already saw Birdman. And yes, it's true that you thought that it was going to be that good and you turned out to be right. It was yeah. that good. But um, putting Revenant up there is a, is a blind prediction. I mean, you don't know that it's going to be a great movie yet. So Let me tell you something that came uh, secondhand, and I'm not going to say what event. It happened during Telluride, and I'll share it with the uh, listening audience. Um, uh, we all know Toby, um, Toby McGuire, who's been friends with Leo since, what, they were 12 or 15 or something. They go way back. And, uh, you know, they're they, they, uh, still close. Uh, and according to what McGuire has told at least one or two people in, in, a, in a very particular circumstance that I will not uh, allude to uh, precisely, <laughs> he believes, based upon Leo's enthusiasm, I don't think that Toby has probably seen it. Uh, you know, maybe, who knows. But he believes, uh, he has told that, that Leo is convinced that this is the best thing he's ever been in, ever. Great. And that's what, that's what I've heard, too. I'm definitely not poo-pooing yeah. it. I, I just I am yeah. a firm believer in the more hype a movie receives yeah. before it opens, the harder chance it has to that's rally. That's true. That, that's very true. And there yeah. may be a handful of them that can live right. up to that kind of hype. Avatar was one. You know, right. I mean, they're really, it's really hard to do that. Right. So it doesn't do The Revenant any favors to com continue to say this is okay. going to be the greatest. Right. I'm just saying it, it feels, I don't, here's, I'll just do the rundown and tell you right. I didn't feel it that strongly. I felt respect more than affection or, admir or, or huge admiration for Steve Jobs, although that's because of my particular situation, having read and really gotten off, I mean, really high off the script. Mm. And then when I saw the movie, it was okay. It was fitfully, you know, it did the thing, but I didn't feel uh, like it really engaged with me. What did you feel when you saw Steve Well, Jobs? I'm really glad I didn't read the script, because that's what happened with Sorkin's, um, you know, uh, Charlie Wilson's War. I did read that script, and it completely ruined the movie for me. That's why I don't read scripts anymore before I see them. But um, what was the main difference between the script and the movie for you? I saw it, uh, frankly, I thought it was an ugly film. I didn't like the photography at all. I didn't like the, uh, I know he was trying to suggest different eras. It, uh, for those who haven't seen it, haven't read about it, it takes place in 84, 90, 88, uh, next, and then 98. Isn't that the sequence? Yeah. And he tries to suggest the eras, one, by, by using 16-millimeter film uh, with a lot of grain in 84, and I think he shot the 88 in 35, and he shot the final sequence in digital. Uh, and I just didn't like the lighting. I didn't find it uh, attractive, interesting. Uh, and I'm talking, you know, obviously I thought that uh, Slumdog had its own thing figured out and was great. And I loved Danny Boyle's um, shooting of, uh, of train spotting and a lot of, you know, I love the, uh, you know, the James Franco thing. I just didn't like it uh, uh, visually. And I didn't, I found the acting strident. I kept hearing a lot of angry jabbering at, at mm. people jabbering at each other and, and poking and, and, and disputing. And the pitch kept going on and on like that. Somehow when I read it, I acted it and I uh, made it uh, sort of palatable to me as I was reading it because I was yeah. just kind of doing my own thing. And it was just too, um, too strident for me. That's the thing like about it is that it's, it, Sorkin is such a brilliant writer that on yep. the page, he is like no other. If you took the newsroom and every horrible episode of the newsroom and you just looked at the script, 
You'd yeah. be dazzled by the writing. You'd just be like, wow. But you know what? Not every actor can do Sorkin. And yeah. it's hard to pull that off. And I think the reason that Fincher and him were such a good match, and I've never seen him matched with anybody that well, yeah. is that Fincher is the opposite of Sorkin. He's the opposite of Speechify. He's he's hone it in, rein it in, keep it tight, keep it, you know, suggestive, don't be obvious. And the two of them together just created this beautiful magic. Well, Danny Boyle is like Aaron Sorkin, he's explosive, he's emotional, he's he's not somebody who holds things in it. He likes to give as much as possible and throw oh. it at the wall. To that is why I liked the movie. And that's the only reason I liked it, is that it's so far over the top. Like oh. you have to admire that kind of ambition. Like it's it's like Sorkin word opera. Like it's really like an opera. Because they're <laughs> they're they all sound I mean, they're doing this kind of theater thing that you don't really see in movies. And it is 100% pure Sorkin. And um, the my problem with the screening was that, I don't know why they did the, tri tri I don't know if you were at my screening, but my screening was they did this long tribute and then a Q&A had like ground everything to a halt so Todd McCarthy could come out there and ask um, Danny Boyle these questions nobody wanted to hear because yeah, they wanted yeah. to see the movie. And so right. after that point, I had to run to the bathroom and go pee. I had to struggle to stay awake during the movie, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, you know, why didn't they just show the movie and then do the Q&A so that we could yeah. all have like ridden that high of hype about seeing this movie for the first time. Yeah. Instead, we had to like sit there and go and listen to, to uh, you know, Todd McCarthy. So what gave you the idea to do train spotting? <laughs> like, oh God, please, no more questions. But so that was my problem. That's why I can't wait to see the movie again because I want to see, plus I missed, I know I missed a lot of the really quick one-liners that just are all the way throughout. I mean, it reminded me a lot of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross and, and all that jazz. Yeah. Those two movies, it kind of reminded me of like, I remember when all that jazz came out, people were complaining about it. And when I watch it back, I can see where those complaints come from, but I can also just look at it and go, wow, that is like a one of a kind, freaky, crazy, really ambitious movie, you know? And I think with Steve Jobs, people are just going to come out of it going, wow, you know, that was, I've never seen anything like that before. Now you asked me just to switch over because we only have about 20 minutes left. Okay. You asked yeah. me about uh, uh, Spotlight. I mean, about uh, Trump, uh, Truth last Aunt night. Tr truth. I want to hear about. I want to hear about Truth. I want to hear about Trumbo. But, I but, tr but let me just tell you, uh, Trumbo, yes. But Truth, I, I, I will not see until 2 p.m. Uh, but it obviously did pretty well. And I, and I heard from a certain friend of ours who was telling me it really scores well. And, and, I, and I said, really? Come on, I did, uh, level with I me. You really think it's that good? And then I read Justin Chang's review after, and he likes it, and apparently it's, it's done pretty well. So I'm surprised. If, it was, if it's this good, why do they wait until Toronto? Why not show it and uh, tell you right? But and what they, I also don't understand is I heard, and, and believe me, I'm surprised, because like you, I thought it was a dud. But, yeah. um, but it's obviously not a dud. Maybe because people went in with lowered expectations, they liked it better. But um, Greg Elwood said, oh, it's such a great movie. And then I asked him, I said, well, are we talking best picture here? And he said, <laughs> he said, supporting. And he's, I mean, he was like, he was like saying that the only chance it had was a supporting nomination for either Robert Redford or Kate Blanchett. But that he said that Spotlight is, is going to take the slot that Truth would take. But I don't know if I buy that entirely. I think if it's playing this well, it's going to have a really good shot at, at a Best Picture number. I love Justin Chang's line about how it's the feel-bad journalism movie of the era. Yeah. Decade. That's a good line. So I'm looking forward, very much forward to that, but we're going to have to shelve that one. But it's, um, right. it sounds great. I'm, I'm delighted that there is possibly a good film to see. I'm also seeing 
Uh, believe it or not, Beats of No Nation for the second time this evening, and then there's a party at the end of the day. Oh, I would see that in a heartbeat. That was my favorite movie coming out of Telluride for sure. I mean, I was that was talk about a mind blower. Yeah, and I know that it's going to put a lot of people off. And I know that it, the girl that I saw it with sitting next to me said it turned her stomach and she lost her appetite and it wasn't her favorite movie. And I don't understand all that. But I think that like it's rare in our business. It happens once or twice a year. Where right. you see a work of just utter genius, you know, yeah. like, and that was it for me. I don't know if it's going to get an Oscar. I have no idea if it'll go to the Oscar race, but I just, you know, it, it's, a, I missed Anomalisa and I hear that it's, it's also one of those kind of movies, but, um, Anomalisa. Yeah. I don't respectfully agree with that hype about Anomalisa. I thought it was another morose Charlie Kaufman film. I respected what he was trying to uh, uh, get at, what he did get at, and I'm not, in any way diminishing him i just personally for me I, I was waiting for it to be over i thought it was all right you know mm. yeah i want to hear you know one thing i appreciate about you jeff is that i know mm. i'm going to get the straight dope from you really i mean it sounds like i'm ass kissing but whenever this whole toronto stuff happens i always go yeah well what did jeff think you know because <laughs> i know you're going to give me the truth and it's mm. not going to be hype i mean yes your biases are, are have to be folded in but yeah. Yeah. but nonetheless it's like sometimes i just can't you know, I don't get the right a right read from the people up there. I just and I really want to know the straight dope. But well, I'll tell you, they were a little bit too polite, if you ask me, about the Danish girl, which is a, uh, you know, everybody has said pretty much the same thing. I'll repeat it again. I I, I posted a piece about twenty minutes ago, calling it a finely rendered, exquisitely sensitive, middle of the road Oscar bait film. <laughs> respect and applause among the fifty plus Hollywood Guild and Academy set. Mm -hmm. But it's almost bloodless. It's well acted, very handsome, intriguing, and lulling, and softly emotional. But it never really puts the hooks in, and it's not never fascinating. And I just felt outside it at the whole time. And mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but Eddie Redmayne, who gives himself completely, really does submit and channels the whole uh, Einar Wagner, uh, Lily Elba thing. He really opens himself up. Brave, open, talented actor. But it's it's all one note, and I and I heard this from a, a from Henri Bayard uh, yesterday morning, who had just who had attended the nine a.m. Sh showing, and he says I hate it. I said why? Well, he says he's all one note. So well, you mean? But they but these are pro pros. These guys uh, know what you have to do with performance. It can't just be one thing. It's got to go up a little bit, and it's got to you know crescendo, and it's got to you know take it. It's got to do all these things. It can't just do. He says that's what it is, and I didn't believe him. And then I saw it, and it's true. It's really all one note. And even when he's Einar, it's all one note. And it's, it's just, uh, you, you just want to get out of there. And like mm. I said, I wanted to go to a topless bar and get a lap dance. I wanted to do cocaine <laughs> after it. I wanted okay. to just get out of that head, you know. <laughs> I haven't had cocaine in 30 years. So. <laughs> no. Well, I, can't, I, mean, I was going to see it, but as I told you, our screening, yeah. our screening yeah. was, was, didn't happen. So we'll have to go on, on Tuesday. But um, uh, that's fine. It looked pretty at the beginning. Alicia Vikander looks gorgeous. And remember Ann Thompson's thing about how do you build a best picture contender? You go branch by branch. And looking at that, I'm like, okay, fine. Costumes, score, yeah. cinematography. Cinematography is acting, exquisite. You know. Really, really beautifully shot. It really has such a nice, uh, but it's almost, you know, I got to tell you, it, there's, it's, it's beautifully shot, but it's also very picture postcardy. And, it, and, and the framings are just so, and it feels almost a little too uh, dithered over. And um, 
it's all right. It's 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 really that kind of movie. You know, it's the theory of everything. It's that kind of sensitive Academy movie that people respond to. But it's um, I I said to myself honestly as I was watching it. You know, I'm not really sure. I kind of doubt that I really am interested in seeing this a second time because I honestly I don't want to sit through this thing again. I don't want to mm. feel this again uh, because I've done it. I've now absorbed it, and I I don't know where where to go with it. Anymore. You know, um, I, so, I somehow feel that way about a lot of Oscar movies. In fact, after the season ends, like very few of them I'll watch again. Really, it's true. And it's not just because of the Oscar race. It's because a lot of them are like just really hard to watch, really gut-wrenching, you know, and not, not depressing because I don't mind depressing. But, you know, there's just this certain... Uh, and I don't even mind bleak. I actually like bleak, but it it there's just something about Oscar movies that are you just don't want to go back there. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. know why. But so Trumbo. Yeah. What'd you think? It's, uh, it's a very uh, people were putting it down here and there. I heard before I went to see it. It's a very uh, well acted, straight ahead, HBO level movie. No oh, dear. Uh, that, okay. In which this happens and that happens and then this happens. But has some good scenes. Uh, you know, a, a really good movie is uh, has three great scenes and mm. no bad ones. Right. I'd say at least has two good scenes, uh, and you could even be liberal and say it has three great, three great scenes. And it has a, a fitfully, dutifully, right down the middle, powerful performance from Brian Cranston as, as Trumbo, and has good speeches. But it is on that level of something you might expect to see on Showtime or HBO. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that that kind of film, you know, we've all seen those. Jay Roach has done that kind of, you know, political films. He's, um, there's, a, there's a place for it, and I don't see why everything, ha it, just because it's not a dazzling piece of cinema, it's still respectable, and I, I didn't have any problems with it. And it's got some, like I say, it has some moments of, of real eloquence and feeling. So I don't believe, I don't, hold with those who are dismissing it. I heard dismissive talk, and I don't think that's fair or to, 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 uh, to attack a, a little film, you know? Right, and it's, it's also, it's not really that movie's fault that the hype and expectations are so high from people going there looking for Oscar movies, you know? That's not, I mean, I don't know if its intention was to go there. I know that every movie would love that kind of buzz so that they could make extra money and people will see their movie. You know, everybody wants that. It's not necessarily just to get Oscars, you know. It's really just a, a, an economic thing more than anything else. But um, so I, I probably they don't mind the Oscar buzz, but people, you know, go in there thinking, oh, yeah, I heard this was, a, you know, a really good movie and he was going to maybe win Best Actor for it. And, you know, so it's just this mm. kind of a silly game we, we all play. But um yeah. So anything, anything that you didn't see at Telluride that really kind of knocked you out so far here at Toronto? I saw The Martian um, um, the night before last, and that's right down the middle of, of a very commercial, uh, engaging film that people that aren't that hip will really love. And even if you're a hipster and you, you, know, you fancy yourself to be a sophisticated film, it's still a very well put together thing. But it's but it's like I, I wrote in uh, in Twitter, uh, it's a um, it's a you know it's like the kind of movie that that people who love halftime uh, shows at Super Bowl are going to really like. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things, and there's nothing again dismissive about it. I just think it's not that uh, you know deep. You know, it's just a situational, um, and, and it's uh, kind of cool is is that it's very nerdy, very techy. 
It's not about uh, you know the the the, the thriller or action beats. Uh, you know, bad things happen and problems, but it's basically about survival. It's how to survive in a difficult environment. You can take it as a metaphor for how to survive in life. You've got to apply your your mind. You've got to really uh, solve one pro. pro- problem and then solve another and solve another and that's how you get through life you know mm. and it's, so it's 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 got a little uh, resonance a little sounds, depth sounds good sounds yeah. entertaining yeah um, what yeah. do you think about Matt Damon for best actor yeah no 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 okay. it's not on that level it's all it's jokey um, Sasha it's a, it's it's almost it's Tarantino jokey all through it, there's a lot of humor it, it, everything is winking at the audience saying you know there's comments about 70s song and having bad taste in disco you know and, the, you know, turn the beat around. And Matt Damon says, no, I don't feel like fucking turning the beat around. It's on that, you know, the, the humor is, is on that level all the way through. And it's basically a way of back neck rubbing and back rubbing the audience saying, we're, we're on your team. We're not doing anything too fancy. We're with you. This is just, you know, we got to, we're, we're eating hot dogs in the stands like the rest of you. It, it's one of those, you know, it's an audience movie. It's not a, a, a high end thing, you know. Right. It's, it's going to make a lot of money. And a lot of the yeah. fanboys seem to really like it. Yeah. It's, I, I had no beast with it. It was, complete, you know, walked out saying, well, that was good, you know. Yeah. Not, not that interesting, but it was really good, you know. All right, so let's, go, let's get down to it here. What are we really talking about for Best Picture right now before we head into the big movies that are coming out? Let's forget about Revenant, Bridge of Spies, all those movies. Let's just talk Black about... Black is not a Best Picture thing. It's, it's just a good gangster film. We all saw that, uh, tell you right, that played also here. Uh, Brooklyn is a sublime little... Uh, poised uh, a period romance that, that I think is one of the most perfectly done films of its type. I think that's really, that's got the stuff to be a best picture, if you oh, ask good. me. Okay. Um, um, Carol, we all agree that that was in the, in the mix uh, a long time ago. I think it's still, uh, I wish I had a chance to see it here. I mean, I, I would love to see it again. I'm, obviously, there's plenty of opportunities. Uh, Danish Girl is out. I'm sorry. I, I don't even believe it might, it might not even make it. You know, it's, 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 it'll probably make it because it's got the notoriety and it's yeah. syncing with the culture and, and transgender to- topic and all that. So that's probably, and it's, it's very noteworthy. It's not, and not and a, it's Tom Hooper, and he's really popular yeah. with all the yeah. branches right now. So. so that'll probably make it in, probably. Yeah. Uh, Joy, I think for sure. Um, well, you I haven't just, seen you know, Joy, so leave out the ones you haven't seen. Um, I think, what do you think of, how do you think Beasts of No Nation is going to, I think it's going to get in there, especially with the directors. The only way it's going to get in is if there's enough of a chorus from people like you and me and David Poland and, and Tom McCarthy and all the others saying, listen, you can't dismiss it because of subject matter. It's too good. It's like 12 Years a Slave. And they're going to, and half the Academy, like, like when 12 Years a Slave went through it, will not watch it, but they'll vote for it out of respect for the what they hear is a really good... But you see, know, I think that the movies are worlds apart. 12 Years a Slave was driven by Brad Pitt being the producer and by it having sort of a um, redemptive ending, right? Yeah, yeah. Beasts of No Nation, to me, is on a totally different level. I mean, to me, it's like an Apocalypse Now kind of... Th- that's my feeling exactly. It is a kind of Apocalypse Now, and yeah. that's the thing. Either so if you can't watch Apocalypse Now because of all the violence and because of how dark it gets, yeah. then that's going to be... That can translate over into this. I mean, 12 Years a Slave was pretty much a linear, torturous story, beautifully done, right. of slavery. Human slavery that white people have to take... You know, we have to atone for that sin that continues in our culture. Fine. That's separate. Beasts of No Nation is, yes, it's about child soldiers. Yes, it's about poverty in Africa. Yes, it's about, you know, this kid who's a brilliant actor. And, I mean, the way he's directed is just incredible. But 
more than anything, Beasts of No Nation is a bravura perform um, yeah. film directed by an up and coming right. force in right. American film, and that's Kerry mm -hmm. Fukunaga. And he's that's what I think. If you miss that moment, you know, you're missing a big thing in film. That's my opinion about it. But yeah, um, Spotlight is definitely uh, uh, it's it's an instant. Uh, winner all, all up and down. Nobody's going to put it down. It's right. going to be uh, praised by everybody. The Academy's going to like it. Nobody's going to have any stumbling blocks, and it's a definite best, best picture. Do you have an argument with that? No. In fact, you know, every year there's a movie that comes out of Telluride that nobody can complain about. Nobody has yeah. any negative feelings about and everybody right. loves. And that was Argo. That was The Artist. Um, and that will be Spotlight. And that, it, it, even though it doesn't really have those kind of redemptive, joyful, you know, qualities that the artist had, Right. And it's not funny and, you know, heartwarming like uh, Argo. But it it's still, it's such a good movie. It, it reminded me a lot of Michael Mann's The Insiders in sort of yeah. tone and rhythm. Yeah. And right. So it's on that level to me. As, as we've all noted, it's a movie that is so uh, devoted to the notepad and shoe leather aspect of, of just getting a, a story, a tough story, and staying with it. It doesn't digress ever. It doesn't uh, uh, devolve into relationships that the re, uh, journalists might be having. It doesn't have any kind of thriller aspects. Nobody's chasing anybody. No car chases. None of that stuff. It just sticks to business. It's great. In a very austere and admirable fashion. It is what you would call a flawless film from yeah. top to bottom with perfect right. writing, acting, and directing. And for Tom McCarthy, that's a huge step forward for him. I mean, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah. I had a funny th story to tell you really quickly. I know you got to yeah. go, but... Um, but I got corrected by the woman who Rachel McAdams plays in yes. the spotlight. She wrote me an email to yeah. correct my spelling of Rachel McAdams' names. I had spelled it Mac Adams, and it's actually Mick Adams. And yes, she, that's right. Isn't that funny? So I wrote her back and said, it was a, it's an honor to be corrected by you. <laughs> <laughs> She's still a, the reporter out there, you know, doing due diligence. And so that, you know, spotlight, yes, it's about molestation. It's about the Catholic Church. But really what it's about is journalism. And it's about the old days of journalism, and it's about how you know how how different things were when you had time to really well research your story and not just get out there uh, with a with a big lie like the New York Times just did with Hillary Clinton. Like they didn't take their time with that headline; they wanted to come out with it quickly, and that's the sign of the times. When the New York mm -hmm. Times itself is doing that, right. things have definitely changed. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that we didn't mention, uh, we mentioned truth, but I didn't. Uh, uh, our, our brand is Crisis, which is David Gordon Green, which uh, uh, warrants respect, and it's a, uh, based upon a very respectable um, 2005 documentary by Rachel Boynton about uh, a, some American political uh, operatives, uh, Sharpies, uh, Bob, uh, James Carville and Bob Trump and guys like that going down to um, Bolivia to help out a uh, kind of vaguely corrupt presidential candidate. And, um, and it's basically about our system and about, you know, just making, you know, arranging it so a guy wins and the hell with the, what it actually means and, right. you know, the winning at all costs and just, uh, you know, play, paying attention to the game aspect rather than the uh, policy aspect. It's, it really has been changed. It has all, it's, it's a Sandra Bullock movie. It's basically a Sandra, Sandra, Sandra Bullock movie that also incorporates and, and does a reasonably decent job of, you know, um, looking at what the the the, uh, the 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 scenario and the theme is about, but you you know, over and over, the movie plays to her personality and to her looks, and she gets to her standard slapstick. You know, she falls down and trips on things, and you know that standard stuff that she does to win over her fans who like her kind of you know 
her personality, and then she, you know, she plays the same. She plays more Sandra Bullocky character here than she does in, say, uh, the the um, what was the something side? The something the the, the blind the side. Blind side. Blind side. Mm. That was more of a role when she was playing a conservative woman. Here she's playing herself. Well, what would the movie have been like if it had starred George Clooney in the part? How different would it have been? Um, would have been less overtly comedic. I mean, there's a mooning scene. Everybody's going to talk about the mooning scene. That's what it, um, and it's, they hired an ass double to stick uh, their ass out of the window of a bus. And uh, it's on that level. I mean, when they use a, have a mooning scene like that, that's, that's the kind of thing that people are going to tell each other, uh, you know, over the water cooler at work the next day. And, is, it, is it like uh, Primary Colors? That was more sophisticated than this. Oh. That was actually, I love Billy Bob Thornton's uh, impression of uh, Carville, or he's play, kind of playing a yeah. Carville-like operative. And that was, when you look back on it, uh, that was more, that was similar. It was similar. I'm not saying that this is, you know, very different, but it is, it does cater to those moods and moments and, and, and that kind of scheme or formula that Sandra Bullock's uh, films tend to conform to. It's, it's, Interesting. It's, it's, it's one of her movies. You know, it's not a movie that she's starring in. It's a, it's a Bullock movie. It's funny how, you know, you know, this is the second movie she's in where they switch the character of the, uh, the lead character from a male to a female just to try to help with diversity and stuff. But it's so funny how just that one move can bring up so many different issues that you just don't have as a man. You know, it's just because women are so you know, kind of multifaceted, like there's so many different things you have to account for with, with just a woman playing the part. Like, why does she, why is she like this? You know, why does she have this job? You know, why does she look like that? Like, it's all these things you would never think of when a guy's in the, you just look at the guy and you go, okay, that's fine. That's what he's supposed to be doing. But a woman in it, it's like, it's unusual that she's this person. Like it is, it's kind of like, um, Homeland, you know, that character, mm -hmm. you're sort of like thinking, well, what's her deal? You know? Right. That's just that's just the baggage that comes with women, but yeah. um, but that one sounds interesting. So what I'm getting from you is that no, there's nothing really breaking out of Toronto right now. Nothing really huge, but interesting stuff. And of course, uh, we have yet to see Truth. So that's um, all right. Well, I'd like to hear what you think of that movie. You're seeing it yeah. at two. Two o'clock. Okay. One hour from now. One hour from now. All I'd right. Like to get out of here. Okay, listen, if you if you feel like it, if you have any time, you can give me a quick call back and I can record your thing on truth if you want. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll do that. Just like I'll a quick five-minute take. Time or 4.30 or something, uh, 1.30 your time. Oh, perfect. Okay, I'll be waiting. All right, so how was the movie? It's brilliant. It's very, very good. It's, it is a companion piece to The Insider. It very much is a companion piece, and it's as well done, in, uh, and I'm not... This isn't in my humble estimation. It's it's uh, exceptionally well done, and um, as a as a kind of a tragic journalism story that uh, is is um, it, it has a melancholy streak towards the end because it doesn't end out end happily, right. but it is a comment about corporate and political forces um, uh, ganging up on, on uh, a person and a story that was essentially true, even though they got, there was a, some questions about the validity of the Killian document. Um, and it was a devastating uh, thing for Mary Mapes and for Dan Rather, obviously, who's, who's here, by the way. He was at the Sony Classics party last night. 
but it um, it and it doesn't really come down on the liberal quote unquote side of things. It's it it explains how and 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 really takes you through the whole process of how they got going on the story and the elements that went into it and how it all started to disseminate and and uh, not disseminate but kind of fall apart. And um, it's really quite cold and brutal once CBS decides that they're in trouble and they they might be. Uh, you know, having political pressure from the Bush administration about it, and they decided to basically just cut her off at the knees. And she hasn't worked in TV journalism since '04. Oh my but God! Wow! But it's very, very well, well done. And she's brilliant. She's wonderful, Kate Blanchett. And is she a lead uh, performance? Huh? Is she lead performance? Yes, absolutely. She's. A, it's her film. It's but that her was very film. clear from what I had been told uh, last July. Uh, you know, I thought it was maybe her and Redford equal, but no, he's strictly supporting. But it's really one of the most uh, appealing and admirable Redford performances because he plays Dan Rather with dignity all the way through, and he holds it together, and he's not uh, unfocused or in any way um, wow, uh, great. hazy, you know. Uh, and it, but it's you know the the, the insider was it, it, it is to my way of seeing these films, I didn't think there was really any substantial quality difference between this and The Insider, which is, you know, perfect. So so it sounds like it's potentially best picture, best director, best actress. Everything. It's all, it's got everything. Wow. Okay. So Um, this is the big movie coming out of Toronto's truth. Yeah. Now, now, you know, you're going to have people say, I spoke to uh, Cotty Chubb on the way back. He thought it was way too on the nose. I don't know what the fuck he is talking about. (laughs) But that's what he said. Um, and I said, but it's addressing the same currents in which the, um, you know, the tobacco story, the, the, the one that they put in 60 Minutes, oh, Ruffle sure. Crow's character. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's the same deal, you know. I mean, corporate interferes. They don't like what's going on. There are bigger concerns than just telling the story. And all the right-wingers, who um, a lot of, many of whom post on my site, and I, I hate them, but they do, uh, they all say, well, it was bullshit. Well, you know, this is another, you know. And they're liars. They're just fucking liars. And this does not take the liberals' side of things. It really right. looks at it very closely. Well, it's basically another, you know, the first it was the insider. Um, and, you know, Spotlight is sort of the opposite of this because Spotlight is about journalism uh, lives on and journalism, you know, this, these movies, this one and The Insider are about journalism being shut down, the truth being shut down in a supposedly yeah. free country with a free press. Right. You know? Right. Yep. So that's fascinating. I can't yeah. wait to see it. I wonder when they're going to start screening it out here. Well, it's, what is it, November something? Yeah. Um, Mid-November sometime? I, I don't have it in front of me, but that's what it is. Right. Um, I have, I had a date, um, um, looking at what something I wrote before. Let me see. Um, I'm looking, looking, looking. I don't see it. Anyway, it's sometime in mid-November, I believe. So that's a good Oscar date, and good award season uh, uh, timing. Oh, but absolutely. everybody comes off. Uh, I mean, uh, Vanderbilt does an exceptional uh, job. I mean, it's uh, it's not. It doesn't feel like some first-time uh, director. You know, right. barely making a good film but you know doing a good job given that he is a first time it feels like a very seasoned uh, film by a person who knows exactly what he's doing yeah. and I got to hand it to I, I'm about going to include in this thing that I'm about to write up uh, a brilliant job by Sony Classics Sony Pictures Classics and 
Block Hornbright and all the spokespeople who work for Sony uh, Pictures Classic of obscuring and hiding That's the right. fact that they have a winner. And they, they did everything they could to obscure that and suggest otherwise. That was incredibly you, smart. A lot of publicists try that. They try to keep it on the down low, but it's almost impossible with so many people covering the Oscar race. But it sounds like they did it. People went in with really low expectations and, you know, were just dazzled. So that's great. But, but, they, but you know, um, Sony Pictures Classics has a great affinity and has, has had a great affinity with the Telluride Film Festival. They've always brought their, their, their shiny ponies to that festival. And then they also come here. Uh, but there's been no love loss between this festival and Sony Pictures Classics in recent years, particularly since the hardball tactics that uh, they brought out two years ago. Mm. And so for them not to bring a film that, remember, true yeah. screen for buyers, I believe it was early June, late May, something like that. I mean, they saw a version of it. I don't right. know, not, not finally, finally. But they show a version of it. And for them to not bring it to Telluride indicated yep. clearly that they didn't feel that great about it. Like, it's going to be like I Saw the Light, which is not that great. It's well, a, it's either that. It's either that's what they thought or yeah. they were making some kind of a deal with Toronto to say, give us this movie. Give us this movie so that we could up our profile again. I mean, to me, that seems yeah. like it would make more sense that they would do that kind of gimme with this with Toronto rather than bringing it to Telluride and, you know, and Toronto becoming yet another afterthought. But with truth, they definitely have emerged, uh, uh, you know, important and vital again, I would say. I mean, well, am I, am I wrong? Seems, Is that it naive? It seems to me they do have relations, you know, they can, they can, uh, you know, because I was writing that it just doesn't, it seems funny that they wouldn't bring it there. It seems funny. Uh, they've, you know, they've had a clearly established pattern and maybe they decided, as you indicated, it would be some kind of um, you know, exceptionally positive. It's just a film showing this weekend. I don't know what the big, you know, plus is. It, it's a, it's, it's good. You know, but right. So you but, have to say they either number one, they didn't know what they had, um, and they maybe. didn't want to compete with another Oscar movie that they might have had at Telluride, or yeah. number two, they were doing you know a solid for the for the uh, Toronto Film Festival. One or the yeah. other. Yeah. So anyway, well, it's it's not a it's not a good film. It's a very very good film. And Great. I'm very glad I caught it. So. Oh, good deal. Okay. Well, I, I'll I'll be looking forward to what you write about it. Yeah, I have about three hours to do it. In. Okay. Or less, actually. All right. So I'm up. I'm, I'm here at the uh, headquarters on the, and it's raining again. Oh. And for so the second day in a row, I left my umbrella back, so I got to buy another umbrella. It's really <laughs> a drag. <laughs> oh God. All right, well, All right. listen, okay, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, bye. Bye. You've been listening to episode 108 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. And the bumper music was Sinner's Prayer by Joe Bonamassa and Beth Hart. And I Am by AWOL Nation, Mike D. Remix. Thanks for listening. These friends of mine will come and go. I'm the first to leave and last to know. I'll be swimming in the face of flames. For these friends of mine, I've overpaid. And I guess.
a lesson made.